step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I want to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able, place your hand over your heart right now. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a pre-born baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. We've partnered with Preborn because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's network of clinics rescues 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. The doubles a baby's chances at life. By six weeks, eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a little baby is able to suck his or her thumb. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life or death of a child. And if you're a business owner, perhaps you can consider a larger donation for a write-off because we know the government isn't working on saving babies. A donation of 1000 2000 20000 all gifts are tax deductible and will reach eternity. Get involved today to donate just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250. Say the keyword baby or donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money, but are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Are you being influenced? If you've watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. The senator has been back in D.C. all week. There is some bombshell news that's just come out about Mike Flynn and the Russia investigation. But best of all, we are going to be taking your questions live on this special Ask Us Anything episode of Verdict. So send your questions in now. We're going to be taking them from Twitter using the hashtag Verdict. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Welcome back to Verdict. How many times can I say verdict in one minute? I guess we'll find out. I'm Michael Knowles. I'm joined as ever by the senator. Senator, before we begin, I got to tell you, your hair today looks excellent. <laughs> have you have you done something new with it? <laughs> well, as it so happens, I got a haircut this morning. Mm. Uh, I got on a plane uh, first thing this morning and, and flew to Dallas and, and went to Shelley Luther, who, as you know, she has a hair salon, mm. and, and she was sentenced insanely to seven days in jail for daring to open a hair salon during the coronavirus crisis. And, and she spent two nights in jail, and then yesterday, thankfully, the Texas Supreme Court unanimously ruled that she be released. And so I got on a plane and flew up there today to get a haircut. 
Well, she obviously did a very good job. The hair looks good. And, and more importantly, I think it's good to send that message out. Uh, there have been a lot of oversteps during this whole lockdown, pastors getting arrested and things like that. But I think Shelley Luther, she might take the cake. You know, she just dares to try to put some food on the table for her kids. And some judge in Dallas decides she's got to go to the slammer for seven days. Well, you know, it really was out, outrageous. And, and if you haven't seen it, I'd encourage folks, watch the video of her sentencing. Uh, I watched that uh, when it came down, and the judge, who is an elected Democrat in Dallas, uh, he demands of her, he says, apologize to the elected officials who issued these edicts. And if you apologize to them, I won't send you to jail. And, and to her credit, she, she says, I can't apologize. I can't apologize for, for wanting people, wanting the people who work for me to be able to feed their kids. I, I can't apologize for that. And, and you know, it was impressive. I, she was not angry. She wasn't disrespectful. She was just very matter of fact saying, look, these folks, they need to feed their kids. They're hurting. And I got to say, it is ridiculous. Elected officials don't have the right to demand of the people apologize to me. That's not the way it works. In the United States, we work for the people, not the other way around. And, and the arrogance of, of our benevolent overlords huh. demanding an apology from the citizenry, I, it was ridiculous. I tweeted that out a couple of days ago, how absurd it was. And, and I was really glad to get a chance to meet her in person. I'd never met her. Um, and uh, now, now my dad and my cousin, they had spoken to her boyfriend on the phone when she was in jail. They had actually prayed with, with, with him on the phone, and, and, and my cousin talked with Shelly just right when she got out of jail. But I wanted to be there just to say, look, we stand with you, and, yeah. and, and, and it is wrong. You, particularly, you know what, you've got local officials that are releasing violent criminals from jail because they say coronavirus, we don't want it to spread. So they're releasing murderers, they're, re they're releasing rapists and child molesters, but God forbid you have a hairdresser, well, we need to lock her up because she's not properly kissing the asses of the politicians that, <laughs> right. that, that, that are issuing decrees. Right. I, 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 I was a little pissed off, you can tell. Uh, fair enough. I think you should be. And I think it's, it sends a great statement. If we had a whole country full of Shelley Luthers, I think probably the culture would be a whole lot healthier. Speaking of unfair sentencing, uh, there's another. And, and, and actually, hold, hold on. Before yeah. we shift to that, I, I want to make one other point that I made. It, we, we did a, a press conference afterwards, and it's a point I made, but I haven't seen in any of the coverage. And, and I, it doesn't strike me as entirely accidental, uh, which is... Listen, I hadn't had a haircut, as you know, we've been doing this. I hadn't had a haircut in three months. Yeah, I was getting to be that uh, since, mullet since, kind of Tiger King. Uh, it, 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 he, Heidi said I was, I was bringing mullets back. <laughs> and, you know, look, I, I was going more for a Bee Gees thing, but, but Joe Dirt is an underappreciated look. So mm -hmm. I, I'll, it's true. I'll, I'll go either way on that. But, you know, it was interesting this week. We were back in D.C. in the Senate, and, and I couldn't help but look around at my colleagues and it sure looked like most of them had gotten a haircut. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's just kind of interesting. For, for those who, who are defending people's freedom, fine. But, but we're seeing some politicians posture how, how terrible it is. And, 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 and it was a good thing that she should be locked up. Well, it, it's just an interesting question. Who's gotten a haircut and how? Right. Yeah, haircuts um, for me, but and, not for thee, is the prevailing uh, wisdom, I think. Well, what was it Bill de Blasio said when he went to the gym after shutting down the gyms? Well, I've got to stay healthy. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, uh, oh, okay, not, not the people. And, and, and look, the, 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 it's also easy to mischaracterize this. Nobody is saying that, 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 that everyone should just behave business as usual right. and ignore, ignore the epidemic, ignore the crisis. Uh, you know, Shelly at her hair salon, when, when I got my hair cut, I was wearing a mask. I was wearing gloves. She was wearing a mask. All of the stylists that worked for her were wearing masks. They used disinfectant. They wiped down the seat before I sat down. The, the, the stylist used disinfectant on her hand. They're trying to be safe. They're trying to use common sense uh, measures to mitigate the spread of the virus. But, but they're also trying to, trying to let 
these stylists be able to feed their kids. Right, right. Yeah. You know, being able to feed your family is important to public health as well. And, you know, you had the Shelley Luther case. That was obviously this gross miscarriage of justice. And then luckily it got overturned. Yet another one on the national level, which just came out yesterday. This was the case of Michael Flynn. He was selected by yep. President Trump to become the national security advisor. Uh, he was then, we were told, a traitor to his country. He colluded with Russia. He was going to go to jail, people told us. And then the DOJ dropped the case yesterday, and Michael Flynn, from what we can tell, yep. totally exonerated. Well, I, I obviously don't have a law degree. What, what was going on here? What does this mean for the DOJ, for the Obama administration, for politics? Look, there are a couple of things at play here. One, Michael Flynn is a decorated general, and, 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 and he was a leader uh, until he was fired by the Obama administration because he had the courage to, to, to resist some, some of their willingness to just whitewash and, 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 and cover up radical Islamic terrorists and be, be apologists for, for Islamism. He lost his job for that, but, but it's interesting that, you know, the, the, there's been a lot said about the deep state. The deep state despises him for that. And, and what has come out recently about the prosecution has really been disgraceful. How, how the Department of Justice, the FBI, I mean, they were politicized at a level under Barack Obama that's never happened before. They were turned into political weapons. And, and I gotta say, the notes that have been released of, of the, the senior folks going after Flynn, where they say, say, say the, the objective was to get him to lie, uh, so, so, that, so that we can either convict him for lying or get him fired. Right. Get him fired. I, 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 I mean, it was, I got to say, I commend Bill Barr. What Bill Barr has done, frankly, takes backbone because the media is savaging him. Mm -hmm. Because he came in as attorney general and said he was going to follow the law and there was going to be accountability. And he directed a U.S. attorney to review this case. And, and all of these records that had been hidden were suddenly made public. And, 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 and Barr made the determination, DOJ made the determination, that there was not sufficient evidence. What this was was a fishing expedition yeah. where they wanted to get rid of Flynn. And, you know, they were getting ready to close the case un until Peter struck this hard partisan dem who has all of these, you know, nasty partisan text back and forth with, with the woman with whom he was having an affair. Um, Peter Strzok said, keep, keep the case open. And, and what's interesting about it, when they went to interview Michael Flynn, you know, Comey's been bragging about how he convinced them, oh, no, no, you don't need a lawyer. You don't need a lawyer. You don't need to tell the White House counsel. No, 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 we're just <laughs> chatting. No big Friendly deal. Talk, yeah. You know, just hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> and it was an old-fashioned game of entrapment. Yeah. And, and by the way, the alleged predicate for this is the Logan Act. Now, look, most people don't know what the Logan Act is. I'll tell you, the Logan Act is utter and complete garbage. <laughs> it is a bill that is ostensibly in the U.S. Code that, that, that makes it a crime for a private citizen to, to interact and conduct foreign policy with, with, with foreign leaders. Here's the problem. In two centuries, it has been enforced zero times. Yeah. And there's a reason for it. There's no constitutional basis for it. Um, and it is something that, it, that is routinely, I guarantee you today, Michael, I guarantee you, John Kerry violated the Logan Act. Certainly he did. By the letter the of the Logan, Logan Act. the Logan Act is yeah. a crime, yep. because John Kerry runs around bragging about yeah. how he's telling the Iranians, don't worry, we'll come back to the deal, ignore, ignore uh, President Trump's foreign policy. You have Democrats all the time who run around and, and engage in foreign policy and folks out of office. Mm -hmm. and, and let's be clear. So, so the alleged violation of, for Flynn, it's important to understand this. He, he, he's a retired general. He's just been named the incoming national security advisor for the new president. This is after the presidential election. Yeah. So the incoming national security advisor is putting his team together to come in and, 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 and lead the president's national security team. And, and, what they were allegedly investigating him is that he talked to the Russian ambassador. I guarantee you every single national security advisor, going back to the staff of George Washington, yep. <laughs> was, was talking 
to, to our allies and our enemies. That, that's actually what you want leaders in, in government to do. And so it, it, it was an asinine fishing expedition yeah. based on a laughable claim. And it was all, the entire game was, well, let's get him on tape and then let's interview him and see if he says something that contradicts what he says on tape. And, and, and I got to say, look, prosecutors have played that game all the time. There's a reason entrapment is not allowed yeah. because, because you're just trying to, you're trying to set up what's called a perjury trap. Mm -hmm. And it was obvious that, 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 that these partisan, the, these partisans who, who, who were at the helm of DOJ and FBI, that, that was the game they were playing and it wasn't law enforcement. And, and I think Bill Barr showed a lot of courage for saying we're going to follow the law and not let this be j j just just a, a a partisan hammer. Right. You the way you can tell in the notes that were released from the FBI, the way you can tell that this wasn't even just a regular, you know, investigation or entrapment is that phrase or get him fired. It wasn't just we're going to see if we catch him in a lie or we'll get him to admit. It was that or yep. get him fired. They had a political interest in getting this appointee removed. Uh, so it's great that this is coming to light. I know that. And, and there's an old grudge. There's, I mean, remember, he had been fired from the Obama administration. They didn't like yep. that he was outing yep. what the administration was doing. And they were, they were mad at him. And, 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 and that, that was evidenced by, by, by the partisan attack. That's right. So we're, we've got. And, and, and of course. The, the irony of all of this is that the media and the Democrats are savaging Barr yeah. for being partisan. I mean, I mean it, it is the biggest yeah. case of projection. <laughs> because he says the Department of Justice is not going to be a partisan cudgel, they accuse him of being partisan. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a game, and I think a lot of people are sick of that game. Absolutely. Uh, so we've got about a million questions here from the viewers. Obviously, this is live, so send your questions in now on Twitter with the hashtag verdict. First one is from Rhino Dino. I don't think that's his name at birth. I think that's the Twitter name. When does an executive's emergency power... You know, there's some colleagues of mine that go by that. From Rhino Dino. <laughs> that's, that, that is true. It's a little long in the tooth in that institution. When does an executive's emergency power overstep the Constitution? Are there any rights that are absolute regardless of circumstance? Should there be a way for the legislature of the state or federal government to end a state of emergency or a lockdown, I suppose? So, look, that's a, that's a complicated question. And, and even the question of an executive, there's a difference between the president, a governor, a mayor. Yeah. Um, in times of emergency, the, 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 the constitutional law has always given some degree of discretion and some degree of deference to emergency powers that are short-term, that are temporary, that, that, that are designed to address the emergency. Now, you can go too far. For, so, for example, there's the famous steel seizure cases uh, where the federal government tried to seize steel mills, and the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that. That's going too far. Um, you know, when it comes to pandemics, there is the authority to quarantine people. And that's got that's actually got a long history and, mm -hmm. and pedigree. Now, you think about it in an ordinary case, the government can't come along and say, Michael, we're going to lock you in one place and not let you go right. for something that you didn't do. Like normally to be locked up, you got to do something. You got to break the law to be locked up. Uh, quarantines are an, are an accepted exception to that if you have a contagious disease and are a threat to others. Mm -hmm. But you know what? We're seeing where it crosses the line. We're seeing it every day in the course of this crisis. We're seeing it with Shelley Luther locking someone up seven days in jail for cutting hair. That's ridiculous. Uh, we're seeing it in, in Colorado with, with the dad who was, who was playing softball with his six-year-old daughter in a public park, and yeah. they threatened to give him a ticket there. Uh, Pennsylvania, where they gave a woman a ticket for driving a car, she didn't violate any laws, by the way. She was driving a car alone. Mm -hmm. She posed no public health threat to anyone, and yet she got a ticket. We saw the governor of New Jersey, a Democrat, um, who, who said, well, figuring out the Constitution, that, that's above my pay grade. Well, no, actually, as governor of New Jersey, the oath you take is an oath to uphold the Constitution. It's not above your pay grade. So there, there, are, there are exceptions, and for, for example, 
in times of war, a president ha- it can suspend habeas corpus, but in limited circumstances. Right. And what the Supreme Court has said is that the, the, the power of the government is at its height when the executive and the legislature are joined together because they're a check on each other. Right. And so that doesn't mean it's unlimited, but it is at, at its highest point when they are working together and you have multiple branches of government together. They are at the lowest point at the federal level when the executive is on one side and the legislature is on the other because those two are in conflict. Um, and, so, and what's interesting, look, this crisis reveals character and there are just a lot of petty authoritarians running around. Right. Um, many of them are Democrats, but not all. And, and they just like power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, California, I sent out a video of that, you know, they pulled out bulldozers and filled a skate park with sand <laughs> to, to stop teenagers from skating. And I, I took the chance to tweet out and said, okay, skaters, this, this is what big government lefties want to do. They want to take away your freedom. And this is stupid. And by the way, it would have been perfectly fine for them to insist on social distancing, say, listen, we're in the middle of a public health crisis, you need to spread out a little bit. But the idea that you can't go outside, that you can't go to the beach, that you can't paddleboard, that you can't go jogging, all of that is an overreach, and it's an overreach because people are, are statists are gonna statists. That's that's what they do, and, and, and it's not right. And there's, I guess the question a lot of people are asking is, is there some hard and fast rule? So, you know, the government is allowed to fill the skate park with sand, but it's not allowed to stop the paddle border. I mean, obviously there's no way you could control for all of these uh, details. So how do we know when the government's gone too far? Uh, Listen, there is no magic rule on it. You've got the Bill of Rights, and so for example, uh, all right, let's take religious liberty. Yeah. Religious liberty is a hard question in this circumstance because, for example, churches. Um, Heidi and I go to First Baptist Church in Houston. It's a big church. Um, my pastor is a good friend. Our church hasn't met in person for two months. Yeah. It's really strange. I mean, we do, our family, we do church on Sunday mornings where we, I log on to my phone and, 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 and put it on the TV and we watch it in our living room. Yeah. Um, now the church is planning to start meeting at the end of the month, and 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 I've talked with with our pastor about it. He he doesn't want to spread the disease. He doesn't want to contribute to people getting sick or or, or losing their lives. That that's I, I think that's a reasonable common sense judgment for pastors to make. We've seen Bill De Blasio, where he threatened if a church or synagogue dares meet, right, I will shut you down permanently. Yeah. Who the hell are you to shut a church or synagogue down permanently? And by the way, de Blasio also, you know, he showed up at the funeral of a revered rabbi to, to personally disperse the crowd and then sent out this tweet threatening the Jewish community. You know, why exactly is he singling out the Jewish community again? I mean, that you start to reveal the willingness to persecute people because of faith. Yes, you can, you, 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 you can work to protect public safety, but when you start signaling it, singling out faith and, re- and religious exercise or speech and punishing what you don't like, that's when you clearly cross the line. Right. Now, speaking of some maybe clearer steps we could be taking, this comes in from Aunt Betty. What actions are being taken right now to remove Chinese Communist Party-sponsored programs in higher education and public schools? Confucius schools and Jiangsu. I don't yep. even know what those are. I, I, I do know that the Chinese government has infiltrated some educational institutions. Yep. Are, there, are there steps to remove them? So, so there are. So Confucius institutes have been established at universities all over the country, and they're typically funded by the Chinese government. Mm. And, and they serve as propaganda arms. They, they, they serve as efforts. that They offer universities help on Chinese language instruction. Yeah. And, and, and China's approach is they use their vast economic resources, a little bit like a, a, a drug dealer going to a junior high, where they say, you know, hey, kid, let me give you a free sample. Yeah. So <laughs> Chinese communists go to universities and say the same thing. Hey, we'll give you really cheap or even free 
Chinese language instruction isn't this great and all you have to do is, is let us conduct espionage on your campus and, and, and let, us, let us push propaganda. So Tiananmen Square, nope, never heard of it. There is no Tiananmen Square. Um, so the question is, is there anything we can do? Yes. Um, so several years ago, I introduced and passed legislation on the Senate Armed Services Committee, got bipartisan support and got it written into law a, a restriction and a prohibition on Department of Defense funding if a university has a Confucius Institute on, on, on campus. And it was like, look, we're not going to send you DOD money if you've got an outlet for the Chinese government right there. And that legislation that I authored and passed into law has resulted in over a dozen of those Confucius Institutes shutting down. Wow, um, great. I'll give you another example. Is, is actually legislation I just introduced this week. Phoenix TV. It is a TV station owned by, by the Chinese government. Do you remember the exchange? It was a couple of weeks ago at a White House press conference. There was that reporter. Where this reporter, yeah. and she was questioning the president. And, and I got to give President Trump credit here. He said, you know, who do you work for? China? She goes, no, 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 Hong Kong. And I don't know if he had been briefed beforehand or if he just had good instincts on, on the moment, but it turns out Yes, in their name, it's Hong Kong, but it's controlled by the Chinese government, and, and it is a, a, a propaganda outlet. Mm -hmm. And in the U.S., so that same company, Phoenix TV, purchased a radio station in Mexico, uh, which has a huge transmitter pointed north, pointed at the United States. And they changed it from a Spanish-language station to a Chinese-language station. Mm -hmm. And, and they put in an application at the FCC to broadcast into the U.S. Now, two years ago in 2018, I sent a letter to the FCC saying, don't let a propaganda station owned by the Chinese government broadcast propaganda into the U.S. And the FCC denied them their license. Now, unfortunately, the way it works under the FCC is they, even though they'd been denied, they appealed and they got a provisional license while the appeal's pending. So right now, you're in California. This TV station is broadcasting, saturating Southern California, and at times it makes it all the way up to Northern California. Chinese language propaganda through the radio waves. Hmm. Uh, and, and so I introduced legislation to eliminate the provisional appeal and say, look, if it's, if it's controlled by a foreign government, broadcasting in a foreign language, we're not going to be simple patsies and let them pump propaganda into our country. And so that's legislation I just filed this week. Right. That's uh, that's actually some concrete work that's being done. I, you know, sometimes everything's been so vague in this lockdown. But that, those are real steps that are being taken, and, and hopefully there's more on the horizon. This question from Magoo asks about another uh, concrete step. Do you think there will be another stimulus to help those who are waiting for unemployment? I'd much rather be working, though. Hashtag verdict. Uh, do you think there's another uh, going to be another infusion of cash in people's bank accounts? Uh, maybe. Um, so we've passed a total of four different bills in response to this major bills in response to this uh, crisis. Uh, they were numbered. Bill 1, Bill 2, Bill 3, and then kind of Bill 3.5 yeah. that was supplementing the Paycheck Protection Plan. Um, the big one was Bill 3, the CARES Act. Hmm. Uh, all told, all four of those bills have been nearly $3 trillion, a whole lot of money. Wow. Um, we're now back in session. Uh, the Senate is back in session. We were back this week. I was in D.C. all week. And it is being vigorously debated what Congress should do next. And, and I got to say, they're wildly different views. So the Democrats want to spend trillions more. And, and they've got a couple of things they're pushing to do. One, they're trying to do their whole partisan wish list that they tried to do on all the past legislation. Things like codifying the Green New Deal. Things mm -hmm. like, um, like changing election standards nationally um, to, to, to benefit Democrats at the polls. They're pushing that hard. But their biggest priority seems to be bailouts for big blue states that, that, that have huge pension liabilities that long preceded this crisis, have nothing to do with coronavirus, but, but the Democrats want to use that to, to, to bail the states out anyway. Um, what I've been arguing and what a fair number of Republicans have been saying is, is, is slow down here. We've spent $3 trillion. And by the way, 
It's not like the money's sitting there in a vault. We're just borrowing it. Right. We're borrowing it and racking up the credit card. We're not going to get out of this crisis through debt. We're not going to get out through borrowing. The only way to get out is to restart the economy and to do so. I think the next bill should be a recovery bill. It should focus on tax reform and regulatory reform as small businesses are starting to open up. Small businesses like Sherry Luther's hair salon. We ought to be lessening the tax burden, the regulatory burden, making it easier for those businesses to survive and thrive. That's the only thing powerful enough to actually turn this around. We can't borrow enough money in Washington and spend enough money to get there. And and so uh, at this point, I think it's very much in flux what Congress will do. But this debate is live and raging right now. Well, especially because the country that we most often borrow from happens to be China. And uh, yep. one, one of the consequences of this pandemic is we're now trying to decouple ourselves a little bit from China. You can't do that if you keep taking all of their money. You know, I also want to take a, a moment just to thank all of the listeners. I, I just saw this number come across the screen. We have now had 5 million, more than 5 million audio downloads alone, just the audio from the podcast. Wow. I, I don't think, Senator, I felt confident going in, but I didn't feel that confident. I don't think either of us thought that uh, the show would would go that big and, and be listened to by that many people. So thank you so much. You can always subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or I don't, if you ask us nicely, we'll send an audio cassette with a carrier pigeon to your house. You know, get it anywhere on the internet. And please send your questions in with hashtag verdict. This question comes in from Mahi. Is that like the Hawaiian fish? I don't know. How do you feel about Andrew Cuomo's handling of the situation? It seems to me like other states suffered as a result of Cuomo's and de Blasio's handling. And I'm from the Bronx, by the way. Um, look, I, I don't know Cuomo personally. Um, I, I do think New York has had a incredibly hard run of it. What's happening in New York City is, is horrific. Um, I think Cuomo has been markedly better than de Blasio. That's not a very high bar. Right. But, but de Blasio has been so overeager, so willing to put the jackboot on that, that, that it's really been dismaying. Um, I've seen a fair amount written about Cuomo's decision to send people to nursing homes and to force nursing homes to take people with coronavirus. And obviously, many of the deaths that have occurred nationally have occurred uh, in nursing homes. Um, More than half of the deaths in the U.S. from COVID-19 have occurred in New York and New Jersey. And so that that really is the locus of it. And it's horrific. I don't want to throw rocks at Cuomo in the midst of a crisis like this. I I, I do think there will be serious questions asked, especially about the nursing home issue. Uh, But in in a time of crisis, we ought to be coming together and, and, and... solving the public health crisis and also solving the, the, the economic catastrophe that has come hand in hand with that. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a, probably a good impulse to try to bring people together. I just think a lot of people, it's not even that they're upset with Andrew Cuomo specifically, it's that they're upset at the double standard, the hypocrisy. You know, Andrew Cuomo, who maybe he did an okay job, maybe he didn't. I don't know. There's some evidence that he didn't. Uh, he's being hailed as the great hero of coronavirus, and yet other governors or the president yeah. who have done at least as good a job as Cuomo did, are being pilloried for, you know, just destroying the whole country. It's it's that double standard. I think it's very difficult for people to swallow. Well, uh, listen, I think one of the biggest shifts in the age of Trump is the utter fraud of the media has been exposed. Yeah. Um, You remember three, three, four years ago, people used to argue, oh, the media isn't biased. (laughs) Nobody argues that anymore. Seems like forever ago. Even lefties, you can't watch the media. They hate Trump so much. I mean, Trump derangement syndrome. I mean, they they twitch and foam at the mouth. And anything he does, look, there are things that, that Trump does that I wish he didn't do. There are things he says I wish he didn't say. But when the media is just the only thing they can do is scream, orange man bad, orange man bad, <laughs> it starts to get ludicrous. Yeah. And, and, and when the media is just a willing shill for Chinese communist propaganda, 
So I, 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 it pisses me off every time I see the media saying, oh, so-and-so country has, has, has a worse case of coronavirus than China. Well, that's only because they're doctoring their numbers mm-hmm. and lying to us. And, and the story that was the most ridiculous was, was CNN did a story. So the Chinese government, their, their military propaganda site, put out a story that says the Chinese military is dealing with coronavirus much better than the American military. And CNN wrote a whole story saying the Chinese military is doing a better job than the American military with coronavirus. Source, the government website (laughs) from the Chinese communist government. And it was literally their repeating Chinese communist propaganda. And it, so of course the media bestill my beating heart. These Democratic governors are wonderful. And every Republican governor, the president, you know, apparently they they were all in the wet market in Wuhan. And and Donald Trump is personally responsible for this virus, as the media tells. Look, I mean, it's it's the the double standard and hypocrisy is a little ridiculous. Sure. And and I think you're probably right. I think a lot of people are tuning them out. Uh, This from Cheyenne the Wolf, who I think is a person, but that's the Twitter name. How do we get the churches open again? I think that, frankly, from my perspective, that's the yep. question on top of my mind. I think that's true for a lot of people. So I, I, I did, um, last weekend I went and did a, an interview, did a podcast with my pastor. And I actually feel kind of bad, Michael. I feel like I'm confessing infidelity to yeah, you. Yeah, what the that, heck? That You're I went and did shows? another podcast. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, so I'm, I, I hadn't admitted that to you, but anyway, oh. my pastor said... Come to the church, out. and we did. We we did. Uh, I mean, so that's probably forty-five minutes an hour. We talked back and forth, and you know, it's interesting. In our church, what the pastor did, he sent out an email to all the members and said, "What do you think? Where? What's the right balance of when are you comfortable coming back?" Um, look, we've seen. I think it will vary ge- ge- geographically. Um, it needs to be based on on sound science and medicine. So, yeah. for example, New York City, the the infection rate and the fatalities there are, are, are horrific, and and I think it makes sense for people to be have much more rigorous standards trying to enforce social distancing in New York City right now. There are other parts of the country where the numbers uh, are are much less. Um, we've seen local officials abusing their power. So, Tennessee and Mississippi. Both instances, you had people that, or actually Kentucky and Mississippi, both instances, you had people who uh, went to church, went to church in their cars, were listening to the pastor over the radio. So they didn't get out of their cars. They were all parked together in the parking lot, listening to the service over the radio, but they wanted to be parked mm-hmm. together. And, and, and the, the politicians sent in police to ticket them all. Now, that's just absurd. That's just abusive. But, but let me give a, a, a different encouragement, which is the church is not a building. The church is not bricks or mortars. One of the things when I did the podcast with my pastor last week, I was saying, look, this is an opportunity for the church, an opportunity for the church to, to show, show the love of Jesus, show... Um, to, to show care and concern and to help others, to help, uh, you, you know, elderly people who are alone, who are isolated, they need love. They need people to reach out to them, maybe not physically, but they need to not feel alone and scared. There are so many people who are understandably scared of their own mortality. And, and this is an opportunity for the church I think not to worry about the physical building, but to worry about the community we're in and to be the church, to be the body of Christ and show that love, uh, th- that I think is, is, is much, much more important uh, than, than the exact date and time we're able to gather in large groups again. Sure, that's true. And, and that date and time will be different, you know, for, as you say, for, for different places and uh, as it should be. Maybe if, if we could all take a little note of federalism out of this pandemic, uh, that wouldn't be the worst thing sure. in the world. Uh, absolutely. From the seer, this might be the most important question yet. 
What number guard do you use for your beard? I assume that question is to you, not to me. <laughs> um, I don't know is the short answer. So I, I bought this, this beard trimmer. So I first grew the beard uh, Thanksgiving, not last Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving before. And I just went on Thanksgiving break and I usually on holiday don't shave. And at the end of vacation, I usually shave and, and I just came back and, and decided, all right, what the heck, I'm not going to. And, and I'd like to say it was some profound statement or anything. It was just kind of, I hadn't grown a beard since law school and I figured, <laughs> all right, this will be fun. And, and, and I got to say, uh, my, my campaign manager sends me this email when he sees this picture of me circulating around with sort of the wispy beginnings of a beard. And he's just like, worst decision <laughs> no, really? ever. Really? Uh, he, he was anti-beard, hard anti-beard. Mm. And, and so I kind of taunted him and we, we I, I, I am not surrounded by yes men. Let me say that. It is, uh, <laughs> um, it, it, it is we all hold our own pretty well. So the beard started growing in, and then it started getting fairly unruly. And, and I was doing some, some press interview. It was a Sunday show at my house, and, and like, like the, the, the team started getting upset that the beard was a little too Duck Dynasty for their taste. And, and so, so they, they asked a, a young guy to run over to the house and buy a beard trimmer and be like, here, trim that damn thing. <laughs> And I'd never trimmed a beard. I'm like, I don't know. So I just, I got a beard trimmer and they have different clips that you clip on the thing. And so I just clipped on whatever the biggest one is. So the longish, whatever the longest clip is that fits on the beard trimmer, that's the one I used and, and cut it down some. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm imagining, uh, so, Senator. So, so I, I don't know what number is the short answer. I'm imagining if you hadn't trimmed it by now, you'd, you'd look like one of those Russian Orthodox priests. And then some crook at the FBI might accuse you of colluding or something. I don't know. I mean, I think it's probably lucky that you were able to trim that beard. So, so have I ever told you a good friend of mine who was who used to be on, on my Senate staff, um, he, he had right about when I grew the beard, he had left and, and was living uh, in Jerusalem and was, was, was at Yeshiva. Yeah. And, and he sent me an email. He, he said a friend of his was a rabbi who had seen, seen a picture of the beard. He, he said the beard has a rabbinical mm. and Talmudic look to it. Mm. <laughs> Uh, that will bring peace to the Middle East and put the fear of God in the enemies of Israel. <laughs> <laughs> and I like cracked up. This is a real email. And so I actually literally cut and pasted it and I tweeted it out. I'm like, okay, this may be a bit much. I'm not sure about, uh, I'm glad you like the beard, but, it, but it, it, it did at least make me laugh. Wow, that's great. I would probably put that line in my Twitter bio, but that's a very, very good feedback nevertheless. From... John James, with $30 trillion in debt, $200 trillion in obligations, and $100 trillion in state debts, how will we ever get our finances in order when the, when the GOP, as well as the Democrats, keep yeah. kicking the can down the road? I look, at it, it is a massive problem. It was a massive problem three months ago, and now it's even worse. Um, we've spent $3 trillion in just a couple of months. Um, and the problem is it's a bipartisan problem. Uh, in the Senate, for, in ordinary times, for any trillion-dollar spending bill, you get all the Democrats and you get half to two-thirds of the Republicans. There may be 20 of us that try to hold the line and try to push back, but, it, but those votes are usually about 80-20. Um, the only way you will get that is 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 with presidential leadership, hmm. and 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 there are areas where the president has been vigorous and aggressive. He he didn't run in 2016 promising to cut spending. Uh, he didn't run campaigning against debt, uh, and so when the president is supporting it, that makes it easy for a whole bunch of Republicans to support it, and all the Democrats always support spending. Um, the answer in terms of how we turn it around, I'd say a couple of things. One, you need presidential leadership that's willing to take it on. But two, you've got to have economic growth. Hmm. So if you look at the numbers 
you look at all the, the variables that go into our federal budget, there is only one first order variable, which is there's only one variable that, that has just, just a dramatic impact, and it, it, is, it, and it is economic growth. If we're at anemic levels of growth, if we're at 1% and 2% growth, which is what we had for, for the Obama administration for eight years, with anemic growth, you can't solve this problem. Right. With robust growth, 3 4 5% growth, the debt becomes much easier to solve. If you look at the last time the, the federal deficit went to zero, and we actually had a surplus, it was after 12 years of, of Reagan-Bush. It was after 12 years of cutting taxes, reducing regulations, and the economic growth was such that when it got to Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton inherited yeah. a $4 trillion surplus. That wasn't that long ago. And it was the incredible economic growth that came from tax reform and reg reform. A little bit of a Johnny One note. Growth, growth, growth. Right. And you get it from tax reform and reg reform. Now, we're in, we're in a situation economically this country hasn't seen since the Great Depression. It's frightening. This is, this is 33 million Americans have lost their job in two months. We had, we had strong growth until three months ago. Yeah. Um, we've got to turn it around. I will say, as we start shifting the conversation into a growth conversation, look, when you're shoveling cash out the door by the trillions, that's kind of naturally the Democrats' playing field. Right. If you're a statist, if you're a socialist, shoveling cash, you love to do. If we start shifting into the recovery debate, which is where I think we should be, how do we bring growth back? How do we bring those jobs back? That then is a conservative or a libertarian's battlefield where the only way to do it is tax reform and reg reform. And so if we can get growth up, and, and for someone who says, well, well, gosh, it seems hopeless. I mean, things are so bad. Is, is it just, are, are we doomed? From... World War II to the present, GDP growth has averaged about 3.3% a year. Um, from 2008 to 2012 under Barack Obama, it averaged 0.9% a year, less than 1% over four years. The last four-year period before that, where, where, where GDP growth averaged less than 1%, was 78 to 82. It was coming mm -hmm. out of Jimmy Carter. Yep. And what happened then? What happened then... It, and by the way, what produced it in both instances was high taxes, high regulations, strangling small businesses, and growth becomes anemic. Now, Reagan comes in in 81, cuts taxes, simplifies the tax code, uh, repeals job-killing regulations. We go from four years of GDP growth less than 1%. Do you know what GDP growth was in 1984? I don't remember. 7.2%. Man. Those are crazy numbers, and we did that. That's what fueled the incredible growth. By the way, JFK, JFK campaigned on 5% GDP growth, and then he cut taxes and repealed regulations, and we got 5% GDP growth. You want to turn the debt around, the only thing strong enough to do it is the incredible engine of the American free enterprise system, and, it, and it's growth, growth, growth has got to be our focus. Right, and uh, we're, we're not going to be able to get there if we're locked down for two years, so I think that's another reason uh, to be eager to start to lift some of these, uh, these lockdowns. Yep. From Joe, Joe wants to know, do you think central banks issuing digital cryptocurrency will lead to the government keeping us from buying and selling? It's a question I know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to admit, I, I don't know much about that question either. Look, when it comes to the Fed, um, yeah. I am nervous about the Fed. I'm nervous about unchecked power. Yeah. I've long been a co-sponsor of audit the Fed legislation. I think we need to audit the Fed. Um, right now, the Fed is doing a lot to provide liquidity to all sorts of players in the economy. I'm, I'm glad if that helps our, our, helps our economy make it through this, but I suspect there are going to be some ugly components there 
that will come out later. And, and so uh, the cryptocurrency world, uh, you know, Bitcoin, I, I have to admit, I, like I, I have some friends that have, have gotten into the Bitcoin world yeah. and, I, and I'm all, I'm quite libertarian. So I'm like, great, knock yourself out. I had a couple who were like, hey, you know, you ought to put $1,000 into this. And I don't entirely understand it. Yeah. <laughs> like I just, I, they've tried to explain it to me and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not sure. And so I don't, like I don't have that much money to invest to begin with, but but I, I don't like to put put what money I have in something that I don't don't fundamentally understand. Yeah. And it seems to be very volatile and some people it's gone way up and then usually things that can go way up really fast can go way down really fast. Um. So I don't know. I will say when it comes to policymakers regulating things like crypt cryptocurrency, I think most of the federal government doesn't know what it's doing yet, is, is, is not sure yeah. what the right answer is. I don't doubt there's some big government folks that want to take over everything with it. Is there a role for combating fraud and money laundering and, and sure, but I, I don't know is the short answer. Sure. Well, no, I'm basically with you, Senator, including on the investment front. I spoke to George Gilder, who I think he was the, the most cited writer by Ronald Reagan during his entire presidency. George Gilder, very, very insightful guy. And he wrote this whole book about how blockchain, you know, the, the essence of, of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, blockchain is the future of the internet. And I have no doubt that he's, he's right. But uh, I, I don't understand it either. It certainly doesn't appear to be happening right now. And so obviously the government is going to weigh in on this more as it develops. And in the meantime, uh, I well, suppose we'll have to wait. Well, and there's a tendency, you, you know, the famous story of the emperor's new clothes where the, where the emperor is riding naked down the street uh, because, because some unscrupulous tailors convinced him they had uh, invisible thread and, and, and everyone was afraid to say, this guy's naked, he's not wearing anything. Like groupthink can be really dangerous. And, and you look at like Holland's, uh, the tulip bulbs that, that like there was an right. investment mania where everyone wanted tulip bulbs. As it so happens, I bought Heidi some purple tulips yesterday and I, I don't know why I thought <laughs> of the tulip bulbs, but they became incredibly valuable, like, like flower bulbs. Like why would you be spending tons of money on flower bulbs. I don't get it, but it became, everyone was afraid to say the emperor has no clothes and so everyone wanted tulip bulbs and then they went way up and then they collapsed. Yeah. And, and I do think there are tendencies, people are scared to say they don't understand something and, and that, that could be a very dangerous place to to get involved. I, I'm still waiting for my Beanie Babies to shoot right back up through the roof. I'm gonna be a wealthy man when that happens, probably just right around the corner. That and, that and the tulips as well. Uh, this question from uh, CB. I am a waitress. My governor's orders are a slap in the face to me. Mr. Cruz, what is the most effective way, in your opinion, to end these restrictions? I've heard people say, call the DOJ. The Supreme Court refused to hear the Pennsylvania case. I'm, I'm not quite sure what that's referring to. Uh, for people who can't work at all, you know, some, like a waitress simply cannot work during this. Uh, obviously, it's much more urgent to restart the economy than for people who can work from home. Uh, should they write to their congressmen? I mean, what, what is best for them to do right now? So, so, so did, did CB say where she was? No, what no, state? Okay. Uh, look, I mean, it, it's, it's harder because it's varying state by state and yeah. some of it is depending on, on the facts and circumstances. If, if the infection is really bad and, and, and widespread, then, then the restrictions will probably be around for a while. I think there's also a pretty sharp difference here between Republicans and Democrats. So if you're in, she mentioned Pennsylvania. Uh, look, if she's in Pennsylvania, they have a Democratic governor. Yeah. And, and you're seeing part of the messed up thing about where we are today is everything in life seems to be defined based on what you think about Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and, it, and it, it's weird. I mean, I mean it's, so, so, so for Democrats who hate Trump, everything is about Trump. And, and it's just, and, and, and so this virus, this pandemic, it's all his fault. 
and their view is everything's got to stay shut down forever. And we're seeing Democratic politicians that are saying, until there's not one case, yeah, right. we'll just shut down everyone forever. Look, that's a little nutty. And okay, I'm sorry you don't like Trump, but, th- but that's, yeah. that doesn't make any it's sense. It's just impossible. Now, look, to, to be fair on the flip side, there are folks who, who love Trump who, who I think are too quick to dismiss this pandemic as it's a hoax, it's not real. This thing's real. It's dangerous. People are dying, and, and we need to treat it seriously. And I got to say, where I am and where I think most Texans are is let's use common sense. Let's treat it seriously. Let's, let's do what we can yeah. to, to slow and stop the spread of the virus. But let's not at the same time strangle small businesses and destroy people's livelihoods. So Texas, we, we just rolled out. So for example, um, CB said she's a waitress. Uh, we're, we've now, Texas has laid out guidelines that has allowed restaurants to reopen. Now they're reopening at 25% capacity. So Sunday night, um, Heidi and I and the girls, we went out to dinner for the first time. We hadn't been out to dinner in, I don't know, two, three months. Yeah. And so we went out, we went out to sushi, which, uh, um, the girls love, Heidi loves. I, I actually like sushi too, although a friend of mine was laughing and went, your first meal, you went out for bait? But, well, yeah. Um, but now look, we, we wore masks into the restaurant. You had to take them off. You obviously can't eat with a mask on. But all the tables were spread apart pretty far apart. Yeah. Um, and it's at 25% capacity. And, and the plan, hopefully, if, if, if the numbers supported in Texas, what the governor's laid out, is to shift to 50% capacity and then keep keep going till you till you get up. That varies state by state. I gotta say, if 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 CB is in a blue state with a Democratic governor who is focused on I hate Trump and want to stay shut down forever, you know, my advice might be move somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Where, the, where, where you don't have politicians who are as crazy. I've been thinking about that every day, Senator. From Quinton, do you think that China should just cancel the debt that we owe them since they've cost the U.S. trillions? That seems like a simple answer to the debt. Why can't we do that? <laughs> oh, look, I, if I had a magic wand, sure. Yeah. Um, they're not going to. Um. We need to deal with them seriously, but there's some folks saying, okay, let's seize Chinese assets. Okay? But look, when you're dealing with foreign policy, all right, we seize a bunch of Chinese assets. You know what they're going to do? They're going to seize a bunch of American assets. Like, you know, you, you know that, that's, that is a dangerous road to go down. So would I love it, you know, if, if I'd also love it if my mortgage company forgave my debt. That'd right. be nice. So yes, but would it... Would I love it? Of course I would. Do I really have any ability to make it happen? No. Um, When it comes to China, I think of it in phases. Number one, we need a real accounting. We need a real accounting of their responsibility. You and I have talked at length on this podcast. We were among the first to talk about how the preponderance of the evidence is this virus likely came from one of the two Chinese labs in Wuhan that was studying coronaviruses derived from bats. One of those labs was 300 yards from the wet market in Wuhan where this outbreak occurred. Um, by the way, the nearest bats we know of that have, have comparable viruses are a thousand miles away in caves in China. Right. Not only that, we know that the Chinese government demanded of these labs they destroy their samples. Now, when you destroy your, when you destroy evidence, that raises an inference. And by the way, courts do this all the time. If you destroy evidence, you're in litigation. You go destroy evidence. You, that raises an inference that that the evidence would have revealed something damning to you, something that shows your responsibility. The fact that they destroyed those samples uh, does a lot. And, and let me say something also. So there are lots of people pretending to be learned, saying, "Oh, the evidence is all circumstantial." Hey, that's actually true. Most people, Michael, who are not lawyers don't know the difference between circumstantial and direct evidence. Um, Direct evidence is, let's say, an eyewitness. If I see you point a gun at somebody and shoot them and I testify, I saw Michael shoot so-and-so, that's direct evidence. 
Uh, circumstantial evidence, let's say you've gone to the opera and you're watching the opera and suddenly you see a man, you hear a gunshot, you see a man leap from the balcony holding a gun saying sick, sick Semper Tyrannis and run off. Now, that's all circumstantial evidence that right. you just saw John Wilkes Booth shoot Abraham Lincoln. But if you didn't see it, that is circumstantial. By the way, people get convicted on circumstantial evidence all the time. It, it, it is simply looking to the circumstances and drawing reasonable inferences. Mm -hmm. The evidence we have and it suggests the most rational assessment is this lab, one of these two labs or both was studying this virus and presumably it escaped accidentally. Um, and, and the media fact checkers that try to refute this, what they keep saying is, there's no evidence this was a bioweapon released deliberately. Well, duh. Yeah, that's not what we're like, saying. Like, even as bad as the Chinese are, I, uh, okay, maybe, look, anything's possible, but I agree that there is not evidence that they released a bioweapon to kill their own, own people. But we do know that they were studying bat coronaviruses in, in these labs right there where the outbreak occurred. Let's start with a real accounting. Mm-hmm. Was the novel coronavirus in those labs? What were the safety protocols? We know also the State Department had two inter internal wires before this crisis, raising concerns about the shoddy security protocols and actually warning that the, the, the security was so shoddy it could lead to a global pandemic of coronavirus. Uh, that sounds kind of relevant. Yeah. We also know for a fact that the Chinese government covered it up, that they suppressed it, that they hid it, and so I think we should start with a serious accounting driven by us, driven by third parties, driven by other countries to ascertain. It's clear China is directly responsible. We need to get the facts. The harder question will be then, therefore what? Mm -hmm. Yes, they should pay. How they should pay? To be honest, we're going to be battling with them. I don't think they're going to pull out a checkbook willingly anytime soon. Yeah. So we're going to have to figure that out back and forth. And one of the things that will make us more able to be vigorous in solving that is decoupling from China. So much of our supply chain right now is dependent on China. So many of our, our life-saving medicines are manufactured in China. I, I am fighting hard to bring that manufacturing back to the U.S. so that they don't have the ability to do what they threatened to do during this crisis, which is cut off life-saving medicines and kill Americans. As long as we're intertwined with them, the ability to lean in is, is constrained and dangerous, but let's start with a full accounting and at the same time, let's be decoupling. That, that's such an important point. It seems like common sense. There's no such thing as a free lunch, right? All right so, so I've lost audio. You've lost me. <laughs> I wonder if uh, the rest of the audience can hear me. But it's a good thing that, that Michael, you're, you're such a good actor. <laughs> Be because the next question is going to have to be mime. <laughs> well, so, let's see. I don't know if you can hear me, but can you do a box? Yes. Uh, I would say that for the next question. Uh, okay, I'm still, I have zero audio. I'll, I'll, I will learn sign language before the next episode, but until then, I, I will take that as a providential sign, either from the heavens above or from the Chinese government, you know, that's uh, tapping into our streams or anything in the middle, uh, that that will have to be the, the end of this episode, gotcha. almost at one hour You're on back. the dot. You're I'm back, Senator. You're they've, back. They've, you know, I, I have a theory that it was the Chinese government hacking into our streamline because they didn't like all the things that you were saying. I, I think that's right. By the way, could you hear me? Uh, yes, I could hear you. And I, I, I guess I, I, you I, couldn't I, understand my sign language and my miming. I, I must say, you, you know, for someone that makes a living in Hollywood as an actor, that was an exceptionally poor box. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just... Uh, listen, Senator, you say you don't surround yourself with yes men. Clearly, I don't surround myself with yes men either. <laughs> I take your constructive criticism. Uh, you know, though, what's amazing is that audio cut out almost exactly at one hour. So we, I think we've... Uh, 
exhausted. Not even one-tenth of the questions, but we'll have to save the rest for the next episode. Uh, In the meantime, Senator, I I look forward to hopefully seeing you in person one of these days sometime soon. Uh, We'll have to wait and see as we reopen. I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hollywood is under siege from an external force. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nine. Nightmares, a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash Ben. hollywoodtakeover.com slash Ben. Ben Ferguson here, and if you're an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be a part of your investment portfolio. And I want you to visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investments to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit Labrador Energy. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that historically delivers sound returns. Learn more now at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money, but are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today.